welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. Today we are recording episode 87 and it is one of our talking shop episodes. Uh, And like all of these shorter episodes, we should just jump straight into it uh, before we take up too much time. So Sarah, what's your tool of the month this month? My tool of the month this month is the emotional craft of fiction, um, how to write the story beneath the surface by Donald Mass. Uh, Donald Mass is a an agent of I think he's got his own agency but yeah he writes a really good book about the emotional side of writing fiction which as you know me and Ashley are very passionate about our characters and their emotions and creating emotions so I've really enjoyed this book and I've actually I read it quite a while ago and I kind of picked it up again just because I kind of wanted to read over it again. You know how after a while things become a bit muddy in your memory. And as I started reading it again, I realized that I'd grown a lot as a writer since I first read it. So I'm getting like different stuff out of it now, Mm. which is kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. So it has a number of chapters which cover the first chapter is the emotional craft of fiction. Um, it's really just like an introductory chapter. And then number two is inner versus outer. And three, the emotional world. Four, emotions, meaning, and arc. And five, the emotional plot. Six, the reader's emotional journey. And seven, the writer's emotional journey. So those are the chapters. It's not a too long book. I think it's you know, it's a decent length, but it's not so long that you're, you know, going to take forever to get through it and get impatient because you just want to start writing. Uh, so I kind of appreciate that about it. I decided to focus mainly on the first chapter for the purpose of this, uh, the second chapter for the purpose of this podcast, um, which is inner versus outer. It's kind of about showing versus telling And I decided to focus on it because I'm kind of up to chapter four. And as I said, it's a little bit, I have read it before, but it's a bit murky from last time. So I didn't really want to speak too much to the later chapters, but there's like also just so much in it that it would take forever to (laughs) go over an entire book. So as we often do, I decided to focus on one of the chapters. And so I thought we'd start off with one of his quotes from it, um, which says, while writers might disagree over showing versus telling or plotting versus pantsing, none would argue this. If you want to write strong fiction, you must make your readers feel. The reader's experience must be an emotional journey of its own, one as involving as your character's struggles, discoveries, and triumphs are for you. So I thought that was a good quote just to begin with that kind of sums up a little bit about what the book's about. That is a good quote. Yeah. So showing versus telling. So in his words, it's outer showing versus the inner, the character's inner thoughts of telling. And what I found interesting about this chapter is that 
it doesn't immediately condemn telling your reader information from the character's perspective, um, but it instead focuses on where and when and how it's appropriate to use each mechanism, which I kind of thought was a refreshing change because so often you're like, show, don't tell. And you hear that and you're like, yeah, but what does that really mean? I've got another quote here just because there were quite a few good ones. He said that a dichotomy less often discussed is the division between those who are comfortable writing emotions and those who find putting emotions on the page repellent. The latter group values showing. So those who find putting emotions on the page repellent are more the showers. And to get a reader to feel what a character feels, the thinking goes, put the reader through the character's experiences. And then he continued, for other writers, telling is a positive. They go inside the mind and heart of the character to observe and feel story events just as the character does. It goes on to say that, you know, showing and telling are fine as far as they go, but the emotional experience of readers has little to do with that, despite the chapter being about this. <laughs> the most useful question is not, how I, uh, is not how can I get across what the characters are going through? The better question is, how can I get readers to go on emotional journeys of their own? So through the chapter, he explores the outer mode of showing and the inner mode of telling and the third option, the other mode, which Ooh. causes readers to feel something that the story's characters do not themselves feel. Um, but when viewed to give or end use properly, all three methods contribute to giving the reader an emotional experience that not only keeps them engaged in the story, but helps them to remember the story. So we've definitely used all three methods in our books, um, but I quite enjoyed his description and tips around telling in particular. So he made the point that straight telling, such as I felt angry, um, basically never stirs to uh, the readers to feel emotion stated on the page because they haven't been pulled in with why the character feels this way. And it's too plain and simple because people rarely state or even know exactly what they feel. Feelings can be confusing and the mix of feelings can hide under the surface. So what does he mean by telling then? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Telling in his definition is the act of using characters' thoughts to get across their feelings, but it's most effective when it's surprising. So, for example, um, this is just an example that I came up with, which I deduced based around what he was saying, was that a character might relay annoyance at their friend or be unhappy at their friend for getting a promotion at work. Um, And this isn't the reaction you'd expect. Um, You know, you would expect a friend to be happy for that person. Um, But a deep emotion is also at play. So, even though the surface emotion might be annoyance and um, irritability, the deeper emotion might be jealousy um, if the character wanted that promotion themselves, perhaps. Or maybe it's a sadness and loss. Maybe their friend is moving away for this new opportunity. And so while the character is admitting they feel annoyed and hurt, uh, we as readers recognize there is more to it than just that one emotion. So even though you're telling an emotion and you're telling a feeling like, and this character's relaying a feeling is not necessarily just like plain, simple. I'm angry. 
um, the character might think it's that simple, but it's really not. And it's your job as the writer to get that across. So that was kind of what I took from what he was explaining about telling. And, you know, when it comes to showing, he suggested showing in cases, this was one thing which I picked up, which I was kind of interested in and intrigued by, which was suggesting using showing where connecting with the character might be a painful experience that the reader would rather forego. Interesting. I'm not sure I 100% agree with it because I think readers do use writing to safely explore experiences that they can't in real life. Yeah. But I do agree that there are characters who you can better connect with when hiding their true motives because sometimes their true thoughts can create a bit of a disconnect between the reader and the character. So I think he's kind of right in that part and I'm sh- that's probably what he was meaning. But for me, I was like, hmm, I'm not sure I agree with like not showing like those scary emotions um, and scary thoughts as much. And like the, I think I can't remember his exact wording. I think it was like, if you have a character that's kind of on the darker side with, you know, um, tormented and miserable and like that kind of thing to, maybe show those emotions rather than tell them. And I was like, "Mm, I think misery can have its own um, effect when, you know, it's, it's done properly through internal um, thoughts as well. Mm -hmm. But I I do agree that, you know, there's certain people who aren't super likable, which you maybe don't necessarily want to have your reader read the thoughts because it's right. a bit alienating yeah it makes sense yeah um he also made the point that a lot of showing relies on subtext so we see a character doing something or how they are acting in any given situation and when this is done effectively the reader can sense the underlying emotion the character is feeling and you know that's the subtext of well, what's going on in the scene so i guess just sort of clarifying the showing and the telling and what you're actually doing is kind of like helpful to see how you might use it. I agree. I think that is really helpful because it always seems so abstract. The show don't tell uh, mantra that people always say. So it's kind of good to have someone put a little bit more clarity around it so you can more concretely see what they mean by it. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And so he did talk about this other mode as well, although he talked about it kind of briefly in the chapter that I was referring to, the inner outer. I think because that creating feelings other than what your character feels is quite highly nuanced and these methods um, are explained in greater detail in other chapters throughout the book. Uh, He did describe what readers are looking for, though. So while you can't control what a reader feels, you can control to an extent whether they feel something and how strong those feelings will be based on what you write. So readers are seeking an experience. Uh, We know this from research and they expect the experience to be a positive one. So enjoyment, suspense, amusement, it doesn't 
necessarily when he says a positive experience it doesn't necessarily mean that all the emotions must be positive just that what they get out of it is kind of like overall a positive feeling um once you take into account like the entertainment value of it I guess yeah writers want to challenge readers and readers want to be challenged and readers compare and relate to characters and situations in books they come to books not seeking to learn about your characters, rather seeking to learn something about themselves. And we as writers need to remember this. So it's not all about our book. It's also <laughs> yeah. about the readers and what they're looking for and what they gain from the experience. So kind of thought that was an interesting way of thinking about things rather than constantly being like, how can I better my book? How can I draw readers in and remember that it's an experience that they're after and they're learning something about themselves not just taking something from your book yeah that's a good thing to remember I think as well just that like who your readers are and why they're reading your book (laughs) good to keep that in perspective yeah definitely so that was again the emotional Sorry, The Emotional Craft of Fiction, How to Write a Story Beneath the Surface by Donald Mass. Uh, I've actually bought the book this time. Um, Last time I read it, I loaned it from the library. So I'm really excited. It should be coming tomorrow. Ooh, yay. (laughs) I'm currently listening to the audio version of it. So, but I prefer, I much prefer reading to listening. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about having it in like hard copy to keep. Yep. <laughs> yep. How about you, Ashley? What was your tool of the month? So this month, my tool is a book called The Writing Experiment, Strategies for Innovative Creative Writing by Hazel Smith. So I just read the blurb first and then go into the book a little bit more. So the blurb goes, the writing experiment demystifies the process of creative writing showing that successful work does not arise from talent or inspiration alone. Hazel Smith breaks down writing into incremental stages, revealing processes that we, uh, sorry, that are often unconscious or unacknowledged and shows how they can be part of a systematic writing strategy. The book encourages writers to take an explorative and experimental approach to their work. It relates practical strategies for writing to major 20th century literary and cultural movements, including including postmodernism. Suitable for both beginners and experienced writers, the writing experiment covers many genres, including fiction, poetry, writing for performance, and new media. Each chapter is illustrated with extensive examples of both student work and published writing, and challenging exercises offer writers at all levels opportunities to develop their skills. So I came across it and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I wonder you know, like what, what kind of strategies she's going to present. Um, Mm -hmm. And the book's broken down into two parts. So part one was introductory strategies and then part two was advanced strategies. I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very exciting. Um, I actually thought I might do for this episode, I'll do an introductory strategy and then next time we'll tackle an advanced strategy. (laughs) Might be quite interesting. So a couple of the chapter titles from the introductory chattery, introductory strategies, <laughs> chatteries, oh my gosh, 
it's the morning here when we record. <laughs> I don't have any excuse um, except for being rather sleep deprived. <laughs> I feel like that's a good enough excuse. You have a little human. He's <laughs> making lots of noises in the background. It's all good. Uh, so the some of the chapter titles from the introductory strategy section are playing with language, running with reference, genre as a movable feast, or writing as recycling. And then a couple of the advanced strategies were tongues, talk, and technologies, and then mapping worlds, moving cities. So there's a, I just picked a few that sounded quite interesting. And like Sarah, I decided that today I think I'd focus on chapter two, which was genre as a movable feast. I just liked the title. Sounds very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'll kind of just go through how the author laid, laid out the strategy. Um, So she describes genre as a word of French origin that is basically a way to categorize different types of writing um, and different genres in writing, obviously, like we talked about in our genre episode, have different characteristics and conventions. So genre can apply to specific types of writing, so things like murder, mystery, sci-fi, YA, but also, which we didn't consider in our um, episode too much, can also cover different modes of writing within a specific genre. So she uses the examples of realism, satire, and surrealism, all within like one genre, like right, yeah, detective or something. So realism is obviously like the world as we see it, um, which is like mm-hmm. the most common. And then satire is using things like exaggeration or irony or other devices to poke fun at something to like highlight some sort of... Um, social convention or something and then surrealism is where you design the world to seem somewhat bizarre or illogical and she says her example was think about some of your weirdest dreams and where the sky is like green or something or you have um fish fingers instead of hands like that kind of thing is the surrealism (laughs) and so her exercise for this chapter is to write a short passage of realist prose and then revamp it using the surrealist method and then the satirical method. And I was like, oh, okay. So quite interesting. Rather interesting. than Yeah. So rather than writing it, because I originally thought it was going to be like write something fantasy and then, you know, take that and then move it into like a different genre. But I was like, oh, okay. So we're going to change our writing modes, which I hadn't really ever hmm. thought about, I guess. Yeah. I'd never thought about doing that either. So the first thing, obviously, is you write in realism. She describes this is because it's usually the mode that we're most familiar with and is the dominant type of uh, writing mode in fictional writing at the moment. And that's usually because it mirrors our world so that, I guess, the readers feel a bit more connected to it, I think is Mm -hmm. the um, sentiment behind that. So she suggests writing a passage of prose about a person in action. And she does kind of give a method to write it so she says start with a skeleton passage and then fill it out with more detail so her example had like a couple sentences like the lady walked to the fridge she opened the fridge and like pulled out a yogurt or something like that (laughs) and then she's like and then like start to fill that out so think about the visual aspects of the scene where you imagine that you're a filmmaker and can you visualize all of the things that are happening and in that part you're meant to remember your five senses for describing And then you have to create 
which I quite liked, create a sense of movement using strong verbs. <laughs> it's like, hmm. um, so it's like using words other than walked or touched, like use more, I guess, emotive verbs to kind of give your piece a little bit more oomph. And then after that, add more details to sort of set the mood and tone of your piece. The little passage that she used as an example, I'll just read out because then she uses that throughout the other two. So her example is she circles in front of the fridge and then opens the door. Inside are rows of plain and fruit flavored yogurt, egg sandwiches and cartons of milk. She slams the fridge door abruptly. She edges away, then turns back and opens it cautiously again. She glances from side to side. She slides out a yogurt, peels off the lid, and quickly swallows a spoonful. So that's her person in action uh, in the realist writing way. And then she moves on to surrealism, where she's going to try and rewrite that same little passage, but from a surrealist point of view. And here again, she describes the surrealism a bit more so surrealism she says defamiliarizes the reader from the world and makes you see the world for the first time from some other sort of view and it usually creates some sort of physically impossible situation that doesn't usually exist in reality so I'll read her passage now and then quickly talk about what she says about it her new rewritten passage is As she looked vacantly at the fridge door, it burst open. A dark brown chocolate cake bounced on the floor and proceeded to shuffle across it. It was followed by a large, unopened carton of cream. The cake waited in the middle of the room for the cream carton, and they simultaneously leapt onto the table. (laughs) (laughs) Makes you think a bit of Alice in Wonderland style. Yeah. I guess that's like a good example of surrealism (laughs) is Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it made me think of Beauty and the Beast with Mrs. Pot and Chip, whatever her name is. Right. <laughs> um, so in this case, uh, the author's using surrealism by giving the objects um, in the scene impossible actions and a will of their own. So that's mm-hmm. how she rewrote that passage. It seemed quite fun. I was like, oh, that's really enjoyable. <laughs> um, and then, she, anyways, and then she moves on to talking about writing in satire Um, and as I mentioned before this type of writing is where the author is trying to make some sort of comment about society and is characterized by exaggeration irony etc there's lots of different devices you can use (laughs) in this passage the author of the book says she is trying to paint the portrait of a person caught between two contemporary religions beauty and food so I'll read the passage that she she wrote um, relating to the whole fridge thing. (laughs) Satire. (laughs) She was worshipping in the mirror when the worm inside her stirred. She hobbled from the bedroom on her her high-rise backless heels. A higher power was directing her. Her nostrils started to dilate before she opened the door. The high crept up on her. It was a yo play, just like the one in the ads. She intoned the jingle like a mantra. Then she seized the door, grabbed the yo play, and with a mixture of guilt and pleasure, voraciously licked the lid. <laughs> Cracked me up. It's <laughs> funny. Um, so, anyways, it's all a very similar scene that the author has described, but written in three different modes of writing, which I 
thought would be quite a good exercise, kind of making you think a little bit more about what exactly you're trying to show. Yeah. So yeah, overall, I thought it was, especially because it wasn't where I thought the chapter was going as well, because obviously I thought it was going to be like, right, one in fantasy, right, one in like murder mystery style. And then I was like, oh, no, we're writing like the same thing, but in a different mode. So I found that quite eye-opening. Yeah, Um, I wouldn't have thought the chapter would go that way. When you talk about genre, you really don't think about different ways of writing. Yeah, your mind kind of automatically jumps to like categories and whatever. Yes, exactly. So I'm quite looking forward to tackling an advanced strategy next time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, so that book was The Writing Experiment, Strategies for Innovative Creative Writing by Hazel Smith. I feel like that mm-hmm. was quite an innovative strategy that I had not come across before. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we should move on to talking about what we are reading for fun this month. Sarah. So I have another children's book oh my gosh, for yes. us. I'm loving Sarah <laughs> reviews children's books. <laughs> <laughs> so this one's called Stella Luna by Janelle Cannon. And I was pleasantly surprised by this one because it's about a bat and I can't say I was particularly enthused to read a story (laughs) to my daughter about a bat, (laughs) but the story was really cute. Um, So this bat is called Stella Luna who gets lost as a baby um, and ends up being taken. I'm sorry. I'm still getting over that. The name is Stella Luna. It's so cute. Yeah, Stella Luna ends up um, being taken care of by some birds before eventually finding her way home and finding her identity as a bat. So it also had themes of friendship through the story and introduced the idea that friends can be both alike and different from a one, one another, but that's okay. So I've um, taken a sort of brief quote from the last page of it. Um, And so one of the birds says at the end, how can we be so different and feel so much alike? And how can we feel so different and be so much alike? Wondered Pip, who's another bird. Because we're friends, said Stella Luna, and that's a fact. Cute. (laughs) That was the end of the the book. And I just thought that was really cute. That is really cute. Um, But yeah, it started off with quite a dramatic start too. Um, Again, I'm going to give some spoilers because, again, children's books, they're not very long. But (laughs) it starts off and Stella Luna's mother is flying, holding Stella Luna in her, like, claws and stuff when she's flying at night. And this owl comes along and, like, I can't remember if it scares her or what happens, but, like, Stella Luna's mother drops her. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And she, like, falls and then she, like, falls into a tree and then she like hangs on to the tree as long as she can and then she falls a bit more and she ends up like with this bird nest um (laughs) i just i was like totally um captured by that first sort of few pages i was like oh my god this poor bat (laughs) i was like oh no i'm like reading it to julia and i was like oh dear Poor Stella Luna, but it all turns out okay in the end. Oh, good. So <laughs> I very much enjoyed that book. So again, that's Stella Luna by Janelle Cannon. 
<laughs> what so were you cute. reading for the um for fun? So this month I have been tackling a fantasy novel for almost the first time, I'm saying. <laughs> I've read Lord of the Rings and I've read the first Game of Thrones book, but it's really fantasy really isn't a genre I usually dabble in. Um, but one yeah. of my work colleagues is really into fantasy. And we were talking about books and he was, I was explaining how I struggle with fantasy because I never know where to start and I always find them really slow builds. So it's, I struggle to get into them. And then he Mm -hmm. was like, no, try this one. It's like, it's a really (laughs) easy read, even though it's really long. And I was like, okay, we'll give it a go. So the book is The Magician by Raymond E. Feist. And I have to say so far he was correct so i'll read the blurb and then i'll kind of go into how i've been finding it at cridy a frontier outpost in the tranquil kingdom of the isles an orphan boy pug is apprenticed to a master magician and the destinies of two worlds are changed forever suddenly the peace of the kingdom is destroyed as mysterious alien invaders swarm the land pug is swept up into the conflict but for him and his warrior friend thomas Uh, An odyssey into the unknown has only just begun. Thomas will inherit a legacy of savage power from an ancient civilization. Pug's destiny is to lead him through a rift in the fabric of space and time to the mastery of the unimaginable powers of a strange new magic. So I'm about six chapters through and it was so great because from chapter one, things happened. (laughs) Like, the plot like really it started to like roll really fast which I did appreciate so <laughs> there wasn't too much like obviously there's quite a bit of world building but events basically start to happen from like page two <laughs> so that's, that's helped me get into it a lot and the other yes. thing I really appreciate is I'm in chapter six but there's already been two one-year time jumps Okay, which has been really helpful because I was like, "Oh, good, he's going to train to be a magician now." Here comes right. like ten chapters of him learning magic, and then all of a sudden, it's like fourteen months later. The next chapter, I was like, "Oh, yay!" <laughs> it's yeah, good when yeah. the boring parts. Are so I really appreciate skipped that. over, <laughs> and it's not. To... Yeah, it's not too hard of a read either, which is good. It's qu- it's a long book, but it's easy to kind of go through the pages and Mm -hmm. sounds really silly, but the names aren't too hard. (laughs) Yeah. They're all quite short names. I'm like, oh yes, names I can say. I appreciate it. Well, it makes it easier to remember characters, right? Especially with something like when fantasy novels are so large and you end up with like this huge cast of characters and each one of them has like this weird obscure name that like no one's ever heard of and it's like super long and then you're like is this that person again I can't remember like is this the person from like 10 chapters ago that oh yeah okay now I remember like yeah it gets kind of complicated sometimes so I guess that's something for fantasy writers to take note of is that yes (laughs) sometimes if you have really complicated obscure names like they're fun to make up but just be careful about like yes pug sure is a very easy they are like memorable <laughs> easy names to because otherwise you're especially if you've got a large cast because otherwise everyone gets confused 
Agreed. You know, so that's The Magician by Raymond E. Feist. Yep. So we should probably also wrap up this episode as we are running yes. close to time. Okay, so next time on Dear Writer, it's our main podcast where we talk about transforming the first draft. And there are also still some spots left on our author spotlight section. So if you would like to apply to that, then you can head over to lindersoncreations.com and hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu. And there should be a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And if you'd like to know more about us or any of our writing projects, um, you can head on over to the same website, lindersoncreations.com or get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle lindersoncreations. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Thank you.